recorded live from the mats of Radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with, with Coach, Coach Renee Dreyfus, Dreyfus and, and Matt Peters. Peters. Ring the bell and let's get, get it, it on. <laughs> Pass you my inhaler. I need an inhaler. <laughs> Welcome back. Another episode of Martial Culture Podcast. Coach Renee, Matt Peters, uh, joined by a very special guest who is uh, probably jet-lagged. But we appreciate him coming in. Do you mind introducing yourself, Stuart? Yeah, um, I'm from the UK. I'm from Manchester. Uh, my name is Stuart Tomlinson, and I run a, a site called Warrior Collective, uh, which essentially sees me traveling around the world to gyms, coaches, fighters, athletes from different martial arts disciplines, and putting together a resource of how they coach, the methods for everyone to uh watch to gain insights it's uh i've been doing it for nearly six years now so it's it's quite a, a considerable library of talent now uh-huh. I think. now you know it, it's it's funny because you emailed me and we started getting to know each other and I, I i you know i have to say that from the moment you emailed me i'm like this guy is awesome and this is exactly how how martial arts should be we're questing we're going all these different places to see how we can get better, evolve, and and move forward. And um, you know, we kind of start out the same way. In 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 in, in the the, I, I started in nineteen seventy five. I'm a little bit older than you, but the same thing. We started in the different martial arts, went from one to another. We were just discussing this. How you know where experiences in certain martial arts were slightly disappointing or, or didn't give us the tools that we were looking for. And how we move on and forward and forward. And and as technology increases, you can see that people have much more of a resource to um, high-level technique. But that being said, I love how you're a curator of truly fantastic content. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of going through your site and I was like, wow, this is really – this is gold. You know, and to put that out there, that's a lot of hard work. And um, I'm really looking forward to to our filming uh, later on today and tomorrow. And you know, well, we're uh, adding radical and Renee to the yeah, to yeah, the mix. yeah. I know Beautiful. he wants to see some 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 well, radical yeah. stuff, some rack art. I it's guess. an amazing idea and, and a great way to chronicle martial arts. I mean, people can learn so many things from watching videos and just focusing on Gracie Jiu Jitsu. That's kind of how they took over the world with the the VHS tapes back in the day. So I mean. Curious I remember we you. used to trade VHS tapes from Brazil. They'd be <laughs> like, "Oh, this just came up," and you know that was then. Then it was the download. We talked about this before, but you know when the, 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 the and then you would start the download, and then you'd wait, and then you'd have to go <laughs> to sleep. You have to, yeah, yeah, you have to go to sleep, and then by eight in the morning, like a thirty second file would finish for downloading. Like, <laughs> oh, armbar from Brazil. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think um, technology has definitely made it made what I do um, doable. You know, I think it was a combination of something that I've wanted to do all my life. Um, well, well, to be fair, I, I, I kind of started um, when I was a teenager visiting different gyms in different countries, uh, training. But it was very hit and miss without any internet, without could any... You go, I know we spoke before we started, but could you go into your background, how you started in England and then how you moved over to Thailand, if you don't mind? Um, no, so I originally started uh, as a youngster in a traditional karate as, at eight, uh, and well, it was essentially white gi, moving in straight lines, block, yeah. block, block, punch, 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 um, very repetitive, not really any resistance-based training. So it didn't, it, you know, I did it for a while. It didn't really grip me, um, and then I kind of left that, and then I found... A uh, martial arts coach who was much more impressive in terms of 
at what he was doing, the people he was producing. It was mainly striking, but he was he was very open to every uh, aspect of martial arts. So even from the beginning, we were cross-training right. in different styles, um, judo, uh, boxing, Muay Thai, wow, kickboxing. So what a... What a, what a um, uh, intellect to, to to do that in the I guess I'm assuming this is the 80s right before the UFC pre-UFC yeah, yeah pre -UFC. what a great mind yeah. you know I was lucky I started in, in karate too my my master uh, Sensei Miyazaki was also a very open thing and definitely the training that we did was a little bit more oriented towards what we would consider traditional karate but it's funny in the karate world we were called kickboxers because you know he was very open minded he told me when I was a kid he's like oh you should go turn boxing and then when I did eventually like start doing grappling, he's like, oh, this is great. Just, you know, cross train. This is wonderful. I think the real real masters are the ones that are not afraid of you experimenting and developing your own palette of, of colors. And, you know, like, you're okay, this is orange striking. This is blue. This is grappling. This is whatever. And you paint in all these different colors and hues and you develop your own game. Um, any, any teacher that says don't cross train. I, I, of course, at a certain as a beginner day one, you shouldn't do that. But you know, it says don't cross train. There's nothing you can learn. You can only learn stuff from me. You know, that's that's a problematic. You know, open mind and and that kind of orientation is is great. But that's not the way it was in the '80s. You know, definitely. No, definitely not. And I think um, there was a lot of schools that would encourage you know not to not to go and train anything else, not to go anywhere else. And yeah, uh, thankfully for me. Um, after my initial experience in the karate in the school hall, I managed to find someone who was very, very good, very open, and that kind of instilled in me then uh, a wanting to develop and continue evolving and not being happy with this, this, and this, but actually taking it to whatever level you can by cross-training with different people um, and... I think that it's allowed me to become where I am on the journey today because I, it, it was that confidence of cross-training that allowed me then to, when I was a teenager, start going overseas and going to uh, different countries. Obviously, Holland was the, the first one. Um, and I, I started with Holland, A, because it's, it's only an hour's flight from the UK, but also I'd been going there since I was... a. Uh, a young child and I'm quite influenced by the Dutch kickboxing scene. I, I know quite a lot of the, the Dutch gyms well. For our listeners, the people don't realize that actually the um, Holland is a hotbed of, of it was tremendous, tremendously skilled Muay Thai or what you call Dutch kickboxing. Right? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was there. There's also, um, um, it goes way back um, uh, to the Kyokushin was big and karate, old school karate and those guys moved into into kickboxing and um, and became the scene. So they, and then they hybridized, adding a little bit more boxing hands to Muay Thai feet um, and um, and just became uh, just so many amazing, amazing gyms and fighters out there from uh, from Holland. And I, I, the I mean, right now, you know, you have you have Remy Boyansky, you have so many uh, um, so many guys from Holland, uh, uh, Rico Verhoeven. So, I mean, it goes on and on. It's generational. It never stops. It's, since since I've been doing martial arts, modern martial arts in the 90s, there's always been Dutch fighters in the mix. Just way back when to the Chakariki days. What's, it's the, a, what's the reason for it? I mean, Holland seems like a an, an odd choice. Is it geographically like located close to? 
The yeah, that's a, for... that's a good question. I, I have I, I would be interested to hear your answer to that. Um, I heard one answer, but I, I would like to hear what your answer is. Well, uh, fun, uh, funnily enough, um, a few years ago, I actually made a documentary on Dutch kickboxing. Um, <laughs> so we should watch that. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what, what's uh, it called? It's called We Bring the Fight, and uh, it's about an hour and a half long. And um, I traveled. I spent a few weeks traveling across all the gyms in Holland speaking to the older generation, um, such as Cor Hemmers, Andre Manart. Um, uh, I was going to mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Pessinier, uh, Ivan Hippolyte. Um, mm. And I really wanted to see everyone's perspective on, you know, where did the Dutch kickboxing start? How did it come about? What is Dutch kickboxing? And how it's kind of grown into what it is today. And it's, it's it was quite an interesting time for me to be able to speak to all these people um, and find their answers. And a lot of them did come, as you say, from the Kokushin Kai background. And like Andre Manat, for example, yeah. was influenced by the Japanese kickboxing scene at that point. Yes. And uh, it was a kind of a... So none of them actually were influenced by Thailand or Muay Thai, which right. is a bit of a misconception. Right. Thailand was not an influence on the no, Dutch scene. No, it at was all. not, and and it's funny because that that's that's actually exactly what it would be. Let's go back and see what was happening in Japan in the seventies and sixties, where you you had what was known as Oriental rules, and you don't really use the word Oriental anymore. But it was basically it was it was kickboxing. It was the melding of the karate guys started learning boxing, and that happened here in America too. And then um, suddenly the Japanese realized, oh, wait a minute. Um, you know, these low kicks are for real. Like we should, we should not have systems that disallow low kicks. And you could see there's situations where Japanese trained fighters would go against Thai trained fighters and they would just get destroyed the low kicks. One reason why Kyokushin in the 60s is like, no, we're going to really emphasize low kicks. And, you know, to say that Japanese karate had always had low kicks is really not true. You know, um, I, I trained Japanese karate, and yes, we were kicking low, but it wasn't the same way the tides do it. The tides technologically advanced it, and the Kyokushin guys went and said, "We're going to do that," which is great. There's nothing wrong with that, but you know, to say that you know this is a 400 year tradition of Kyokushin guys and, and karate guys kicking the legs, that's not really true. But anyway, um, so that happened, and then the, a lot of the like core hammers, all these guys were influenced by the Japanese teams. One of the reasons why all the Dutch gyms have Japanese names, you know, mm -hmm. or not all of them, but there's Mejido, there's this. Those are places in Tokyo, and uh, and places where these guys are trained, and and so the 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 scene in 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 Holland, as I had been told, but somewhat controversially, was yeah, it was based from the the cross pollination of what was going on in Japan in the seventies and in the kickboxing world. Um, but yeah, it's nice to hear someone say that as well because I was said, no, it's Muay Thai, and I'm, well, actually, it is Muay Thai, but it was it was the roundabout route, you know? <laughs> it's it's you, yeah. know, it's you know what else is quite funny as well, um, which um, you'll have to you'll have to watch the documentary where, where there's a couple of uh, Dutch trainers who actually um, will look into America at that point, um, obviously, like Duke Rufus and all this. No, no, oh, before no. then, um, it was. Oh, the name escapes me. Donnie. Oh, Donnie, who was it? Don, Don the Dragon Wilson? No. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Don, Could, okay, Don, he's a little late later, but I was, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So, he was good. Um, but but there were there was some of the gyms were obviously like Majira were, were yeah. in Japan, yeah. and then some were looking over to the, to, to yeah, the, yeah, to like the Danny Steele, Don the Dragon yeah, Wilson. Yeah, yeah, so yeah no, bring, I, yeah, of course. They were bringing, bringing that, and then it obviously 
it, they they brought the I think the the as you asked before why the why the Dutch they they've got a very um, hard working ethic in Holland because obviously no one else in the world speaks Dutch so they all learn multiple languages from scratch when they're in primary school and secondary school um, and the culture has always been about hard training so the sparring in Holland is notoriously hard oh my god and they it have it's just brutal. It is unreal. Like, I can't even watch it. It's like, fuck. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. They have a day each week that they dedicate to hard sparring um, called Meatloaf Wednesday. <laughs> and on meat- I have one of those, too. It's different. <laughs> Longer Taco Tuesday. <laughs> so meat- Meatloaf Wednesday, I can't remember the Dutch pronunciation of it, but Meatloaf Wednesday is obviously the traditional dish of what you eat on that day in Holland. Oh, really? But, yeah. Oh. But after sparring, it's what you're supposed to look like uh, <laughs> oh, sparring yeah. on that day. Um, and I've been to most of the big gyms hard sparring sessions and, and obviously when I, I was younger I went there and there there are no there's no holding back I remember my first sparring session and I took a, an up knee to the face in sparring and I looked at the coach uh like you know surely that's not allowed and it's like uh, everything goes knees to the face um wooden floor hard sparring um and it was part of the culture and I thankfully for me the where I came from in the UK we were quite used to hard sparring but in in Holland they take it to, to another level. level it's yeah. unreal it's exact opposite of what they do in Thailand they don't hard spar in Thailand yeah, no, ever they don't. it's all play 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 sabai sabai relax da, da, da. but um and you know what I really respect Thai boxing in in Holland I really respect it we never hard spar at radical maybe once every six months just just brain trauma, mm. you know. Like now, we you know body and leg. That's yeah. fine. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, hard to the head is not what we do. Mm. For we, my my fighter GG and York, the two fighters just had um, just had their fights this weekend and did well. And we did not do one hard sparring session to get ready for to the face. We, we don't need it. You know, once every year, once a year. All right, let's fucking go. You got to remember what it feels like, just so you don't forget. That's it. Done. 15 minutes once a year. But then everything's fast-paced. Hard to the body and hard to legs is fine. No no problem. But not to the head. You know, light contact to the head. And fast-paced, movement-based. Um, because I can't – I told I told um, York, I met his dad. And I told him, you know, we want him to win and all that. But also I have a responsibility to you to make sure that I that while your son is in my charge – He's taken care of and he can have a great life in his 50s and 60s and is not punch drunk or, you know, I, 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 not, I did not grow up in the New York boxing tradition. I'm, too, I'm a little bit old past that. Um, but I did, I did box here. I did box here. But, I, you know, the boxing, the hit golden era of, of New York boxing it was, it was long gone. But I did box in a gym called Kingsway and I had a trainer there. And you see all these old, the old generation guys and none of them can speak properly. They, um, my my old karate teacher is unfortunately dealing with some uh, 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 pugilistic dementia, trauma-induced Parkinson's, and uh, because he did bare knuckle, you know, thirty years of hard bare knuckle, full contact, and um, you know that's not what I want for my guys. And uh, so I, I would be curious about your your opinion that you know I'm sure you don't go to Meatloaf Wednesday anymore. <laughs> 
you know, I, when when you're young, and especially growing up um, as 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 I did, and and being influenced by the people that I was when I was younger, uh, you know, because we've got really well-known boxing gyms in Manchester, yeah. uh, you know, no, Collierston, sure. Moston, you know, so we were a big big boxing background. Yeah, yeah. So so we kind of brought up on the hard sparring you know if you spar hard you can take it better in the fight and that was the old school mentality and and it's that sink or swim if you can survive this sparring we will train you we will coach you but if you can't survive you yeah no that's true then you know i think that's a good weeder and i do that in my gym a little too like if you can't if you cannot get through this right here then you can't go here and but at the same time it's i do that more grappling based because there's that tap and there's you know like you can you can simulate the same gut check without ugh, damaging the person neurologically that's that's my 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 take on that but um anyway go ahead i'm sorry no i i i you know i love my dutch friends and i love holland i go there regularly i was there just a few weeks ago in amsterdam um but the hard sparring i think is is it's not what i would do with if, if I was coaching someone, right. it's not what I agree with that I you know the you, the modern day understanding of CTE and, and head trauma and uh, and also the training smarter, not training harder. And I think sometimes the way that the sparring can go in some Dutch gyms, not all Dutch gyms, because I think some Dutch gyms have changed a little bit now, but some Dutch gyms go still so hard that. It almost lends itself to a, a one type of fighter. You know, you're not creative. You're volume aggressive. But if someone can deal with that volume and aggression, you have no creativity beyond that. Absolutely right. And it's funny because that I completely agree with you. I, I wasn't going to say it, but that's also why I believe that, that, that Holland, while a powerhouse in Muay Thai, produces no really – MMA fighters of note. I was like, no, there's, you know, Marlos Conan here and there, someone, but they just don't because, first of all, when you spar like that, you do not last in MMA because you get your shoulder ripped out, you get your hips, you know, you spar hard with takedowns, yeah, yeah, good luck with that. You know, you will, your longevity is done. But also, it's more about the play and the flow and you're sparring hard for sure. Like, if you look at Team Alpha Male, if you look at their practice, they're going hard. They're going hard. They're wrestling hard. But at the same time, they back off at certain points to keep it safe and, and like almost playful. That being said, it's hard training. It is definitely hard training. But it's hard and at the same time safe where there's a line that's not crossed. And and um, and uh, and and so like I'm not going to suplay you. Like today you, we're in my academy having the white belt to practice suplexes, right, which is actually pronounced suplay. But anyway, people don't know what I'm talking about when I say suplay, so I'm going to say suplex. All right. So – we, I'm like not having them lift each other up and throw them on their head. They're just learning. So you just do a back arch, keep your feet on the floor. Now, yeah, of course, when we really do it, we're going to start. Th- but you to play a guy once in, in, in the white belt training, that's it. He's done. You know, like he's not coming back for three days. And you'll probably have some, some – but there's a way to practice it that's hard but at the same time sustainable. And, um, and the thing is when you go super hard, you don't – you don't feel confident in experimenting with stuff you're not good at. Now, if you don't experiment with stuff you're not good at, you don't get better. You don't get better. Uh, you don't get better at those moves. You, your, 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 your repertoire becomes very limited. Now, in striking, how many punches are there? Really five punches and then ten if you count high and low. So the jab, cross, hook, uppercut, blah, 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 right? And 
there's like how many kicks? Like what? Eight kicks, basically. You know, that's it. There's not a lot of stuff. Of course, there's a tremendous amount of technical innovation that can happen in the setup. But ask me how many arm bars I know. Not variations. Just straight arm bars. Eh, 200. Not variations. Just straight individual techniques. I know about 200. You can bend someone's arm 200 different ways? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still the same principle, yeah. but like, you know, wacky got to my standing, you know, armbar from the guard, you know, technical mount armbar. Uh, oh, and then there's, that's just arm bars. Forget arm locks. You know, there's so many. And then the easiest way to lose an MMA is by a technique you've never seen before. So if you're not expanding your repertoire at some level, then you're, all you are going to be is Francis Ngannou, which is great, but you're like, it's like a one trick pony. Straightforward, aggressive, bam, and then those guys exist. I mean, look at Greg Hardy, Mister Mister, you know, uh, inhaler. For the guys that don't know, he he his win, which was a pathetic win anyway. It was just his opponent was terrible, and and he couldn't even put him away. But in between rounds, he illegally uh, um, used an inhaler, which is completely illegal in in terms of commission. But he he's a one trick pony, forward punch, forward punch. Okay, wow, that's great. Great martial arts there. He, pra- he practiced that punch on his girlfriend. He did. That's not even funny, but <laughs> that's terrible. You are a bad person, Matt. You are a bad person. I won't talk for this. You know who's coming out next week? You know who's coming out next week? You can't say that. <laughs> bad Matt. Bad Matt. Out. Time out for you. <laughs> but anyway, um, so just going back um, uh, to the to the subject you're talking about before, the origins um, – uh, of, of Muay Thai and how it developed and how it, it – when did Muay Thai start really embracing a uh, – you could say this is a truly different style from the from the Thai, Thai approach? So they, they don't even use the term Muay Thai in Holland. It's, it's literally kickboxing. Yeah. It's always been – and also they don't even say Dutch kickboxing. That's just something everyone else – yeah, 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 yeah. Just, to, just to describe their – their style, right. and, and and again, there isn't just one style. There's Chakariki style, there's Voss yeah. style, there's um, Hemmer style, there's um, which used to be Golden Glory, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, so each Dutch gym has their own particular style of kickboxing. That you know, you're right because I I, I remember the the heyday of Chakariki, and it's it's different from like the Ernesto Hoost, you know, Voss gym. It's very, you know, there's Mejido, there's this. There's, you're right. There's, but I guess it's always like that, you know. My jiu-jitsu is very different from, you know, the Henzo Gracie team around the corner, which is very different from Unity. We all have our own approaches. But um, but, but if you were to say – I'll just let you talk. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I mean, I, th- I think the um, – again, it's only because that I've, A, spent a lot of time there and, B, done a lot of – traveling and filming and and I put a lot of time into making that yeah. documentary and, and speaking to people in depthly who who I feel were the if not original pioneers, yeah. they were the generation after the original pioneers. So obviously the original pioneers would have been Johan Voss and people like that. And but they then Johan Voss would have would have then um Handed their gyms, so they so yeah. the, this generation handed their gyms down to Andre Manart, yeah. to Ivan Hippolyte, to you know. So these gyms were handed down from them, and so the people that I was talking to mainly are, are really the guys who are still running the gyms, who I suppose inherited the gyms from their coaches and they yeah, continued yeah. in that style. Yeah. Uh, and they still obviously speak very highly of of their coaches for their trailblazing going over to Japan. Uh, in 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 the early days to 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 bring it back to Holland, um, the 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 actual 
style of Dutch kickboxing for me is very much, um, again, depending on who you kind of, which, which coach you're looking at, you yeah. could define it by its heavy hands, uh, uh, high volume, um, and heavy low kicks. Yeah. Um, but it's, but it's changed a lot, I think, since the, the days of Ernesto Hoost right. and, and, and people like that, because, because, uh, the, because again, like we were talking earlier on, rule sets and promotions encourage different things. Different things, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And that has led then to a, a change it's, in the in the fighter. It's exactly, because especially it's glory rules now, which mm-hmm. don't allow for, – for the listeners don't know, there's the straight Muay Thai rules, which are a very, very long clinch battle. And what you're talking about, I mean a clinch, but Muay Thai clinch, it's called the plum. You put the hands behind the guy's head. And it allows a real intricate battle there. And that's a big part of Muay Thai. It's also a place where kind of Muay Thai guys go when they kind of want to recharge a little bit. But it's still da- da- dangerous and there's a lot of elbows. In in glory rules, which are, used to be kind of K1 rules, um, you know, that is, what, two seconds and then they break, something like that? Yeah, yeah. it's very minimal Very now. minimal, yeah. You yeah. know, the, the, the clinch game is almost non-existent in yeah. Dutch kickboxing. Yeah. And the older generation um, lament that. Because yeah. the Sounds or- like me. Because the, ori- <laughs> because the original K1 allowed it. Yes, I remember. I remember you know, the, the rule change. The rule K- change was yeah. like about 2001, mm, something the, like that. Yeah, it, yeah, it allowed it. So yeah. the, the, the people like Ivan Hippolyte, Lucian Carbine, um, and, and that era – they were all competing in Muay Thai and K1 kickboxing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, even were, Andy Sauer. I mean, Andy yeah. Sauer is one of my favorite guys. He competes in Glory or K1 style, whatever you want to call it, Glory style, shoot boxing style. And he, I know he's been to Thailand too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's an amazing guy. He's using a lot of rule sets. Can I just back up a second? I think it's really important to mention to all my listeners, a lot of my friends are karate guys. It's very important to mention John Blooming. Um, because he's the guy I think who was introduced the Kyokushin to to Holland, and that was I think the first. That's you have to kind of I just have to say because all the karate listeners get pissed off if I don't do it. But John Blooming lived in Japan, and actually um, I knew a lot of people who trained with him because he trained uh, Kyokushin and judo at the same time. And he people say that he actually had a sparring match with Masoyama where he beat the snot out of him, like. Took him down. I mean, he's a lot bigger than Masayama. But Masayama is a famous Kyokushin printing. And then he beat all of Masayama's guys too. And John Blooming, they were like, they would call him the monster, you know. And uh, he went back to, to Holland and he was the one who who started that 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 original Kyokushin background. And Sammy Schilt is is from his lineage, mm-hmm. if I'm not correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. Sammy Schilt's UFC champion, Pancras champion, and also very well known in the, in the kickboxing K1 scene. And... Um, uh, so very tremendous pioneer. Uh, passed away about ten years ago, something like that. Yeah, but a real old school tough guy. Yeah, you can still see the influences of Kokushin Kai in all the gyms. You know uh, the way they start the classes yeah. on the knees, bows. You know, really? All, yeah, it's all really. It's all, uh, yeah, so no if you, kidding. If you went into like, um, <laughs> if you went into Voss Gym, for example, mm. uh, at the start, everyone lines up side by side on the knees. And then bow us, and yeah. and that's because that that the there's still a lot of those coaching val coaching values coaching kind of values, um, because the coaches of that generation that were influenced by those people, so they've carried that through, and I think it's I think it's important as well because sometimes if you lose too much of the traditional aspects of it you almost well you're not a martial art anymore you just yeah. uh just, f- boxing just, just fighting. fighting yeah, 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 just yeah. Fighting, so. I, I say that in our academy as you, as you saw like bow and friendliness I, I if someone's new in my academy you always go over greet them be polite um 
it's very important when you're teaching people how to kill someone. And really, a rear naked choke is the first thing you learn in jiu-jitsu, and that is also completely deadly. You know, like, put on a choke, hold it for 40, 45 seconds, the person's dead. So if you're teaching someone how to kill another person, you also at some point have to give them certain tools of self-restraint and that they're a responsible citizen. You you can't put a loaded gun in a, in a criminal's hands, which is why, you know, like, unfortunately, this is – you see that martial arts is has linkages to sometimes organized crime. I know in Holland there's a little bit of a link between the underworld and the Muay Thai scene too. Uh, but that's that's not unique to Holland. It's everywhere, I think. And and that's sometimes, you know, I, I really ask people to leave my academy because like I I don't want to teach you because you're not a good guy. You know, and, and that to me that's that's my responsibility to the to the better the outer outer world. If you're if you're gonna misuse this, then I I, I look, I don't want any part of you. You know, self-control, decency, politeness, these are super important self values of self-control, you know. Um, but anyway, so um, let's go back to um, to his to his website and, and Warrior Collective. You've uh, obviously traveled around the world, lots of different places. Uh, what was kind of your favorite place to, to visit besides Holland, I think? <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's funny. It's like, I guess... You know, I've, I've spoken to um, a lot of fighters and a lot of coaches, and it's a bit like asking which was your favorite fight. Mm. They're all so different, yeah. and they all create their own memories, their own experiences. And, you know, just yesterday when I was in Vancouver, um, Ryan Diaz, uh, was, who's um, Benson's coach, um, was asking me, uh, oh, what's, what, what's been the favorite gym you've been to? And it, okay. it's, it's a really hard thing to answer that because they're all so different from each other. Uh, same if you ask me which is your favorite country, favorite city. The I, I'm a, I'm a bit of a people person, and I enjoy meeting and talking to people just as much as the martial arts itself, and obviously recording that for everyone else to experience. And um, I'm I'm very lucky in that the people who are good at martial arts tend to be good people, um, and so it's no hardship for me to kind of travel and spend time with good people. So it's hard, it's hard to say who do I like the best. It's <laughs> it's it's really difficult. It's like it's yeah. funny. Um uh I I also do like Instagram live interviews with um it's a bit like a podcast but I do Instagram live interviews like an interactive thing with with the audience where they can comment questions. So I do that with coaches and athletes. And also actors. I would love to do that, yeah. by the way. So, interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, I'll tell you more about it. But I do it with actors and musicians. Anyone who's involved in martial arts. Um, so, for example, uh, I've got Joe Teslim coming on it soon, who's from The Raid. Um, so I, I like I like a broad selection. I was speaking to Chatri Sidchotong a couple of weeks ago, who's the CEO of One Championship. Um, so I, I, I kind of... I, I enjoy that just as much as the the martial mm-hmm. arts because I think you know it's understand listen to people's journeys can be very inspirational and you very, know and you hear their perspectives and 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 I think again going back to one of the reasons well I suppose my first reason for doing the site was the physical you know oh, I want to know how this guy can kick so well who doesn't want to know how Ernesto Hoos can low kick you know and and but then it goes beyond that when you start going out there you realize that there's there's different levels to it, you know. So there's the physical stuff, but then there's that person's whole uh, ideology, their methods, their uh, their approach to life, and you, and it's so multifaceted that 
that's why I started doing the Instagram live uh, interviews to be truthful. It was I felt like there was part of the filming that I wasn't showing to people. I was showing them the physical, but I wasn't showing their mm-hmm. this person's philosophy. So person's, right, yeah, right, right, so, right, right, right. Yeah, and physical. so and asking the sort of questions that you'd ask in your mm-hmm. podcast. But I, I know you had some videos with Robert Follis, and that guy is a just very interesting guy. Not just jujitsu, but unfortunately he passed. But um, had a lot of things to say that were just very brilliant. You know, I I, I um, never met him, but I always always like if he has something to say, I'm going to listen. You know. So the, the, every, every person that comes on, the, the, whether it's for an instructional or, or whether it's um, for uh, the Instagram line, uh, as I was saying earlier on, everyone teaches differently. You know, mm-hmm. I've got um, like 20 terabits, terabytes of, of, of instructionals. Yeah, I've got thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of different people coaching different things from around the world, kickboxing, Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Judo, uh, Chinese Kung Fu, Taekwondo, boxing. Um, it goes on and on. I don't restrict myself to just one thing. I actually quite appreciate there's a spectrum. Like you were telling me before that you like really enjoy the where it's where it's functional and it's got yeah, to have yeah. that aspect to it. And that's my personal thing, what I go for as well. Right, but it may not be other people. Exactly. Right, right, so right. I so like I when I was in Singapore, for example, I went and did some film with Aikido. Now Aikido's not something I would I've ever wanted to do. Um but I was I'm interested in kind of like, okay, well what what's behind it? What's go, what's going on? So I went and filmed it and and the thing is, is like a lot of the guys who, who are teaching and teaching it well, you know, not yeah. like someone who's not teaching it well, teaching it really well, like teaching Aikido or teaching um, Aedo or Kendo, some, something that's not as common. And actually, you kind of find that because they're not putting as much emphasis on the combat sports side of it, that sometimes they kind of they're a lot more in tune with the character development and spirituality and the not being ego driven whereas we can be guilty in the combat sports where there's competition of some tune in terms of resistance that we encourage that enough of an ego for you to go okay this guy's giving you this can you figure him out so there's got to be some element of ego there hasn't there and then in the west we can be guilty of completely by stepping the spirituality side of it and just concentrating on the physicality and like you said before, that can sometimes mean that we encourage people to be good at physical violence without actually necessarily being a responsible adult, you know. And you can see that sometimes in fighters who go off the rails, domestic violence, yeah. um, drugs. And, you know, back in the day, a martial arts instructor would never have taught that person because yeah. of their deep connection with their spiritual belief about you know, a lot of it was connected to religion. And I, I'm not an overly religious person, but I do kind of now I'm getting older and you have children and you, and like you said before, you want to look after people. You start to kind of say, well, actually, there's different levels depending on what you want out of it and where you are on your journey and how old you are and what you want from it. So I think with the Warrior Collective, I kind of I like to try and keep a very open mind. If it's done well, I will go and film it yeah. and, and, and I'll try and showcase what it's about to the right audience and and i'm so at my site i what i never do is i you know you sometimes see 
like things like oh McDojo and it shows like someone doing a chi ball and it's, <laughs> it's it's obviously rubbish. It's obviously you know hokum. But but I I I don't kind of um, go put something on and go oh look at how badly this is done. Right, do right. You know right, what I mean? Right, so yeah. everything point, everything yeah. everything that I do True. is about positivity yeah. and embracing someone's strengths and what they're doing in their community and, and what they can bring to the table. It's yeah. funny, it's funny like um I I did I did train aikido or aikijutsu. Um and and while in terms of functionality um well, it depends how you define. Let me you know. Let me go back. Let me. When you say functionality, it's like one of the things that Aikido guys do great, better than any other martial art, I think, is teach breakfalls. They can teach how to fall better than any art. So you know what? I would probably say that your likelihood of when you're fifty or sixty to fall and hurt yourself, or even younger, fall and hurt yourself, is very high. And and so that's a type of functionality. I, I took this one spill. This is actually – I remember skating on ice and going probably like five feet off the floor. And if I hadn't had a break fall, I'd have probably broken hip and a broken elbow. And I took my break fall and, and I was fine. And people thought I was dead. you know. But I'm like I took my break fall and boom and I was fine. So yeah, could could my aikijutsu training have contributed to that? Absolutely. I've never seen anybody teach um, a break fall as well and as efficiently as Aikido guys do. That being said, a lot of – some of the other t- things are more based towards the art. Of the side of the spectrum than the martial, and um, I think it has to do with like resist training. And but it, it, it depends what you're looking for. The problem that I have is when people are on that side of the spectrum and say, "Oh, but this will you know kill you in three steps." Okay, let's let's not do that. But that doesn't mean that every every art has something to learn from. You know, also the way um, I was I was very good friends with this one kung fu guy. And he was just showing me how he approached. It was a performance kung fu, not not you know the the wushu performance. He's actually actually a Japanese guy, but he lived in China, did, did the performance kung fu, and the way he approached his flexibility and his training was brilliant. It was fantastic. And you know, I showed it to um, some physical therapists and and some per- trainers. Like, no, that's really good stuff. And so I think um, we we all have something to add. But if we're talking. Sp- purely in the functional element and we have to define our terms because what's functional in a knife fight and what's functional in a two-on-one fight and what's functional in a ring sometimes are there's some divergence you know so but if you're talking about that functionality what's over there in that super 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 sport oriented rule set or no sparring whatsoever is not going to be the best option you know as long as we're as long as we're honest you like tai chi guys i love tai chi guys no nobody goes to tai chi school and say i'm gonna teach you how to kill everybody jason Bourne. No, that's not what Tai Chi guys do. They're like, we're gonna like control your blood pressure and be one with the world. Great, you know. And I and I actually I think most Aikido schools right today are like that. You know, they're they're about movement and inner, you know, moving Zen kind of thing. And that that's that's fine. I'd love to see a Tai Chi Jason Bourne though. That'd be a good movie. A little slow, you know. You know, you know, very slow. <laughs> Matrix. <laughs> Everything. We're gonna move very slowly. <laughs> you know, um, but um, we, you know, one of the things we discussed was like the commonality. Now, wh- that's one thing I would like to touch. I know you have your book coming out where you're gonna deal in depth, and I, I want people. One, the minute you put that book out, we will promote the hell out of it. But what do you see with all this massive experience of going to so many countries and so many gyms? What is 
the uh, one commonality that you see across the board of excellence. And this is something that I, I really interested. When I was in Japan, I would visit lots of dojos and I would and then I would cross-reference what people are doing from video. And I said, one thing I noticed, whether it was a Kyokushin champion, world champ, I was very happy to share the mats with some high-level Kyokushin guys. And I was looking at what Midori Kenji and and um all these guys are doing. And then you, I would go to a kickboxing gym and see what they're doing. And then I'd go to the top level judo. And I was very fortunate to to meet some amazing judo players, in, including um, uh, Nomura Tadahiro, who's like, what, four, three-time world champion and a three-time Olympic champion, four-time Olympic champion and two, two-time world champion. It's amazing. And then then you MMA guys. And you say, okay, what are all these guys doing the same? And one of the things I, I noticed was rubber band training. Every single high-level guy Trains with rubber bands, you know, and um, and a couple other things. Uh, every single high level guy does breath work, you know, like breathing and 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 Hicks and Gracie. Every single one. There's just certain things. Oh, this is something that if you want to be the best, we should be doing this. But anyway, I would like to turn it over to you. And what what do you see as commonality? It could be something very, uh, um, what's what I'm looking for? More more less defined. Um, <clears throat> it could be more. Uh, um, more specific in terms of a training method, but what, what what do you see in your travels that cuts across the martial arts? Kind of going back to what Bruce Lee said, like let's get rid of the the barriers between arts. What do you see as a universal? Um, that's a hard question. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is a hard question, and I guess it, it, it's an interesting one in terms of when you look at historic uh, martial arts in terms of. How how were people taught in the past and how are they taught today and the culture and society and how that fits in? And I think, I guess the one thing that I see where people are consistently uh, successful is they have what would have been classed as a, a, I guess, a syllabus or a curriculum. They've got systems, they have systems in place that they take everyone through and the systems are built from the ground up. And everyone has to have these systems. And these systems form the fundamentals that allow that athlete to develop their own style. But they all have to they all have to put the hours in. There's no cheating those hours. You've got to you've got uh, you've got to correct, you've got to you've got to repeat, you've got to repeat. Um and I think it's and I think the that the one of the things like mixed martial arts is has kind of forced really is is when people try to do too much. And then you get it's like a Junk. jack of all trades, master of none. The, I call it the JKD problem, yeah. and that's what happened. You know, in the eighties, they people in the JKD community who were pioneers and great, but they they wanted the same concept that we want in MA, and it's like let's be functional in every element. But then they started doing eighteen different martial arts, so you like slightly good at everything, but not really good at anything. And then you wind up with guys who's a little better at wrestling or a little better at striking, and he just eats you alive. So I, I call that the JKD mess, you know, and and they abandoned that. And, you know, like that's the founder of the Straight Blast Gym, Matt Thornton, was like, there's something wrong here. We These are the core and these are the core systems and these are the core functions. And on top of that, we can build further, but we can't have this mess of training 18 different martial arts at the same time. That's that's a great point. Yeah, and I, and I also think that um... – it, the simplicity rules uh, in in from what I've seen at the highest level is it's 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 not the it's not the what it's like the how and the why is more important than the what um, so it's understanding if, if you've if you've developed your base 
then you should be able to do whatever you want at any given time. So then the what, the technique itself is not the main thing. It's your ability to understand the context and 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 then obviously how to deliver it. So this so the 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 base of the individual then is what needs to be developed and that takes time and and a lot of I suppose a lot of coaches and a lot of athletes can be guilty of skipping steps and looking to go from here to here you know too quick and before they found that before they built that foundation yeah um and that was one of the benefits of I suppose some of the martial artists of other generations is because they only training one thing they mastered one thing before they moved on now in terms of mixed martial arts that kind of put them at a disadvantage to some extent but it also meant they had a base that you know yeah. that they could go from so I guess because because I've gone across different martial arts it's always about systems base um, having a an understanding of the concepts that you have to drill. There are no secrets anymore. In terms Were there of... ever secrets, though? You know? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like you go to one gym, and this happened to me. Oh, my God, this is a super secret thing here. And then you go to the other gym, and like, it's like the, the day one white belt knows it. It's like <sighs> it's so conceptual, you know? I, 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 my favorite martial art movie of all time is Kung Fu Panda 1. And he goes, there is no secret ingredient. You know, like it's like, yeah, it's just hard work, sweat. Tears and blood and hard work. That's the secret ingredient, you know? And that's that's how I feel about secrets. That being said, they're little tricks to make things work better. And those tricks, I think, are understanding biomechanics at a high level, generating force and leverage, using uh, your musculature, your your anatomy, you know, applied anatomy in, in, in functional, really efficient ways. And there are definitely tips that make that happen better. You know, like somebody will say, hey, move your hip here in the triangle. Oh, my God, this is so different. But is it really a secret? It's more helping you understand your body and how your body works better. You know what I mean? Like um, to me, the secret is one, coachability. Like are you, you, know, are you listening to your coach and you're doing it? And then also understanding your body. And this is, this is how I see it. It's like first you learn to control at a basic level another human being. You know, you learn to control them, like, you know, throw them, use your footwork to get around them. Then you're starting to learn to control yourself and your, how you move your feet. Okay, to, to control the other guy, I have to control myself better. So my proprioception, my biomechanics, oh, this is how I generate force better. Then you control your mental state. And through the mental state, I can, I can maybe do a Conor McGregor where you intimidate him and you win the fight before it even happens. Or you can stay calm and control your breathing and then control yourself better, and then you control him better. And those interplay of those three are so important. To me, that's the secret. You know, controlling your body at a high level, controlling and manipulating another person at a high level, and then also controlling your mental state and using that to control his mental state, you know? Um, yeah, and, and I also think, you know, you've you kind of touched upon it there. It's also um, accountability of the coach, you know, as in, you know, is your coach still developing themselves? Do you hold your coach accountable for your development as they hold you accountable for your training? There's got to be an element of, like, there's levels to it, isn't there? A, a, a coach can instill the right habits or the wrong ones, and a coach's level of understanding is going to dictate the ceiling of their athlete, and which is why some athletes and fighters have to move on in order to develop because that coach has reached the end of their ability in some sense. And that's where, 
again, you see some gyms having repeated success and then you see some gyms where they've had one athlete who's been a superstar, but apart from that, they haven't produced anyone else. Mm. Now, is that down to that individual being a gifted individual in terms of attributes because they've not had that success of anyone else? It, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's multifaceted, and mm. I guess it depends on which way you look at it. But I do think that, like I said before, uh, an athlete's got to be coachable. Um, but also a coach has got to be coachable too, uh, co- coachable and, 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 and committed. So there's got to be a, a synergy, hasn't there? There's got to, you know, there's got to be that, that element of they both got to want the same thing in order for it to, for it and, to work. And, you know, I, I say, I say this all the time, you know, we, we've been doing this podcast a lot and, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm almost 50 and, and, you know, sometimes I'm like, I've been doing this way, this arm bar for 20 years and I want to change. But then you're like, you're like, no, nah, I got to change, you know? And, and really, um, in my academy, we changed completely our approach to jiu-jitsu because there was a point where I was like being respectful of my tradition, the teachers that I taught. But then I realized that, look at the data. This stuff's not working. There's a problem here. Let's search and see how we can solve this problem and not be beholden to any tradition or any style on the technique side. Tradition on the mental, spiritual, respect, basic human value side for sure. But on the other side, I am a student. I tell every student, don't put me on a pedestal like a guru. I'm a student just like you, and you can probably teach me something. You know, Jean-Jacques Machado, who's one of the best grap- sport grapplers around, he he said, you know, the other day I was rolling with a white belt. He said it in a book, not um, to me personally, but he said, you know, I was rolling with this white belt, and it inspired me to come up with this new technique. And this, it, and then he basically changed the way people attack the guard. And he said that 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 came from him working with like a two-week white belt. So you can always learn something from someone and you should be – I tell people if I'm doing the same thing I did a year ago the same way, maybe that's not – that's a problem. I should be doing it better, you know, and, and maybe we learn and we evolve and we go go on. But let me – I'm sure, Matt, I, I, I always dominate the mic. Maybe you have some I, questions. I think your that. website goes a long way to help with that, with seeing what other people are doing and kind of testing yourself against other people virtually. And how can I do something different? How can I do something better? Uh, is Joe Rogan spinning back kick on the website? No, I mean, so the <laughs> that's a great spinning back kick. <laughs> yeah. It is a, great, a lot of power. It's a great spinning back kick. I because I um, only really put stuff on the site that I've personally filmed. I haven't actually Joe been Rogan. To, yeah, call him up. I know. Bring yeah. him out to California. I know, I'd, I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to go and see Joe. But you know, talk about rotation. Look at the the, the hip rotation that move. Though honestly. That's the old style of taekwondo spinning back kick. Like, you know, there's a newer style that's coming out right now. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, the taekwondo guys, there's a lot of lack of functionality in, in a lot of way they hold their hands and stuff like that. But when it comes to torsh- torque, generating torque through hip rotation, you can learn a lot from them. And, and I had a student, a taekwondo student, we were talking about it before. And he was showing me, because he trained in Korea, how they're spinning now which is actually different from the way they did it when in my day. And I'm telling you guys, this is how I did it, but this is how they do it now. I'm too old to change this one because my hips don't work like this. I get hit by a car. I can't move like that anymore. But you guys try and move like this. And I, I'm going to need a shout out to my friend Dominic in Canada. He's a, a very eclectic karate guy. I have never seen a more powerful spinning back kick. And, and I've you know been to Korea. I've trained. But this guy Dominic, and he, in terms of spinning, and he has a, a multifaceted karate background, but he did kickboxing and this all sorts of stuff, right? And shout out to Dominic um, in, in Toronto. But again, high, the highest level of evolution of that little micro thing of, of how to spin and how to, in a short, you know, kind of move, very, very efficient 
movement, very, very biomechanically um, – the, the the amount of conservation of motion, you know, what's the one we're looking for? Efficiency of motion, very small movement to generate that much torque, it's just unreal. And but Joe Rogan definitely has it. But even the newer guys from the techno, they go pop and they just spin like crazy. And uh, Zabit is one who does it in the in MMA. When he spins, he's really close to the guy, but he still gets that spin and that spinning back where the knee is pointing the floor. So a lot of times the spinning back, the leg is parallel to the. To the to the floor, but right now the the knee is pointing down, sort of like you're doing a mule kick, but you spin, it comes up and it, it just shocks you right there. It's just beautiful, beautiful technique. And Sabit I think has the best one in MMA today. And he's he's he comes from a weird background. It's like Sancho or something. He's like listen to this like weird, you know, martial arts monastery in in Russia. <laughs> it's like he's, all he does is train, but. Um, but that 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 would that was fascinating. I'll I'll I'll, I'll shut up now though. <laughs> I'm talking too much. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you, you you mentioned that particular technique. Uh, actually, I, I think um, I've got one of the best people in the world showing how to do that on the site, and that's Raymond Daniels. Yes. So he's on the site showcasing how he works that spinning technique in yeah. his Bellator kickboxing and his MMA fights. And if you watch his fights, um, I'm sure you've watched Raymond Daniels' yeah, fight. Yeah, yeah. He Amazing. Com- he comes from that freestyle karate background yeah. and he's transitioned from that semi-contact scene to full contact karate through to kickboxing, through to MMA. And he's evolved um, that particular style to make it more functional. And his spinning back kick, his details on it, yeah. Uh, a, a next level, and 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 again, the reason why I have people like Raymond on, and why I wanted him on, was he uh, he's one of the few people that I see make it work in everything that he does. You know, in MMA, he makes it work. He makes it work in kickboxing. He makes it work. He fought on um, Chuck Norris's Combat League for a long time, won every fight. Yeah. He's only lost, I think, three fights. One to Joe Valtellini, who was his first glory kick, first fight with low kicks, and he lost twice to Nicky Holtzkin, but one of them was off a cut. That fight got stopped. So, in all, yeah. in all, for all, the people who don't know, Nicky Holtzkin is a you know, super, super, super talented, amazing yeah. Muay Thai fighter. It's like no, 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 uh, no, nothing wrong with losing to a guy of that caliber. <laughs> no, no, yeah. and 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 and, the, and, yeah. that, and that's the thing is is, but he, if you watch his fights, he he works that back kick on. Everyone on everyone, amazing. and it's yeah. uh, it's it's amazing to watch. And so, so that's why, like with the site, I always kind of think, okay, who do I want on the site? You know, um, who who? And then this is the thing: it's, it's kind of like a bit of a selfish thing as well. It's like who do I who do I want to go and see? Who do who do I want to see what they do? So, if you look at the list of people on the site, it's like it's like it's a list of people that I. Like it's like having a bucket list of people that you want a <laughs> private lesson with. Okay, who do I want to go and see? And and that's kind of uh, I'm working my way through. And like and I, I was saying before, it, it doesn't stop. It's kind of like every time I think, okay, like who do I want to see now? And and um, I'm I go to Singapore for ten days in February, um, and then after that I'm doing like a two week tour of Thailand, all the best gyms. Like older generation, like Samar Diesel Noy as well. We as had Samar in our academy. He's Front kick, it's like yeah. uh, front tee, you know, side tee. It's like, like wow, just amazing. Is this the website more like a curated where you reach out to people, or are people reaching out to you and the gift of that? Um, it's a bit in the at the beginning. Obviously, it was just all me because mm-hmm. obviously no one knew. And so when when for the first few years, it was me paying for me to go there. It was me doing all the work. It was me going, look, you know, this is a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and 
So nowadays, I guess it's a bit of both. People people travel to me and reach out to me. So so uh, so Raymond Daniels visited me in Manchester. Uh, there's quite a lot of coaches that have visited me in Manchester and done the filming there. And then obviously, like well, like today, I'm I'm travel. I'm in the middle of traveling at the moment. Um, and this is me kind of going. And you, places. yeah, I know you have a, a relationship with One FC as well, right? Or, so, or with Chachu Sijong. Yeah, so um, with One Championship, I've known Chatri for about four four years now. Um, I kind of, again, this is this is me. I was like four years ago. I was like, okay, where where do I want to go? Where would where would I like to go? And when I was younger, and I was reading history books, I was always. I always loved history and Singapore was the the gateway to the gateway between the east and the west and everyone was like oh you have to go to Thailand and I was like there's loads of people going to Thailand I want to do something different so at that point Evolve had been being very successful one championship was just starting or had just started not long back and I just thought do you know what going to Singapore seems like a cool plan and and, and I went there and I'd, um, I'd, I did a documentary there. I visited all the gyms in Singapore, um, like the older ones bef- that were there before Evolve, like uh, Fight G, Juggernaut Fight Club, Impact MMA. So I know the Singapore scene very well. Um, and then I went to Evolve. And uh, funnily enough, when I first went there, there'd been some miscommunication with the PA and I couldn't film when I went. And I'm always super polite. You know, there's one yeah. thing that you'll see is like on any of my comments, on anything, even if someone, even if I've traveled 100 miles and someone's gone, oh, do you know what, I forgot that you were coming, we can't do it. I would not say anything bad. I would not have anything difficult to say to him. So I was like, oh, it's okay. You know, so I kind of like had two days where I committed to go to Evolve and I couldn't film now. So I was like, it's okay. I, you know, I'm happy just to have been and made the context and experience. And then just before I was about to go and leave Singapore, I had a phone call from Chatri, and he wanted to personally apologize. I had a wasted time. And he said, oh, you know, I want to meet up and take you out for lunch and learn more about what you do. So to cut a long story short, you know, he picked me up, took me out. We had lunch. We talked for a few hours. Um, he really liked what I did. And then he then said, okay, you know, uh, I want you to come back and be my guest so a month later, he paid for me to come back and spend another seven to ten days there filming behind the scenes at one championship. I had full access. Um, <laughs> so it uh, kind of worked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then ever since then, you know, we've been on really good terms. I've sent fighters over there for fight camps to evolve. I've helped some of the fighters get signed to one. Um, I interviewed Chatri on Instagram, as I said before, and um, he, he's he kind of... He says good things about me because he knows how positive I am and I'm very supportive of the martial arts community. And I'm very supportive of him and one championship and evolve because I you know I really like what they do. And so I guess that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's like when you make these contact, you make friends. I, I, I always feel like anyone I've been out to visit and film with, they're a friend, you know, and if there's something that I can do to help them, that I will. And vice versa, sometimes they they do something for me, like obviously with Chatry. He organized for me to go back. He paid for my trip. Um, he's let me go to any one championship event that I want to for free. You know, it's not been a, a, a big deal to him. Um, and 
but then I don't I don't ask for anything if that makes sense. No, of course, he, of course. He yeah. said to me, he said, oh, if you ever need anything, you know, you just need to ask. And obviously, someone might have been going, oh, do you know what? I could use a jet. Yeah, I could use a jet right now. And some people might do that, but no, I've, I've, I've never asked for anything. No, of course, of course. Because you know, you're a good person. Yeah, I've you never, I've yeah, never yeah, asked yeah, for anything. Yeah, but, I get it. But that's why we, we, we keep in touch. And, and again, he's, you know... And and sometimes I look at my messenger or my Instagram messages, and I look through all the people that I speak to on a regular basis, and I just my my young version of me goes, like, you know, I can't believe the life that you live. You're like, <laughs> you speak to so many. Like, so when I was younger and I was reading the martial arts magazines as a teenager and being like a fanboy of all these different people, and like nowadays, you know, I'm I'm regularly uh, like when I was in Vancouver. Um, I went out for lunch with an actor who's filming a new film there, a G.I. Joe reboot, Snake Eyes, and he plays the bad guy Storm Shadow. But I'd interviewed him on Instagram Live, and again, connection, he's in Vancouver filming, went out for lunch, and it's like, you know when you have a bit of a geeky moment sometimes? Yeah. And you think, like like when I was with uh, Ernesto Hoost, or, or when I've been out um, and I was with Carl Hemmers and his son Nick Hemmers talking about Ramon Deckers for the documentary, mm. or you know, or when I was with Chat, this, this uh, Rich Franklin, Ben Askren, mm. you know, I've been with so many Vandalay Silva, Randy Couture, you know, I kind of, you know, I've I've been very fortunate, I, I've been very fortunate, but then on the same token, I kind of think, well, you know. It wouldn't have been difficult for anyone else to do. It's just for me, money's not important to me. I'd mm-hmm. rather, I'd rather have this 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 work of love that I enjoy, and so the money was never something that you know. It, it's come as a result of years of me doing it now. But in the beginning, there was, I didn't get anything from doing it. It yeah. was just like me. But that's it. You know, your passion. Your passion wanted to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No. There's you know, so it's it's the same thing with martial arts. It's like I wasn't doing it as a as a way to to make money. I was a translator. And but then the thing is like, you know, I I just love doing martial arts all day. Why don't I do that? And then I guess it'll work it out itself out. And it, it has. You know. I mean, you know. Am I making the same I made before? No, but I'm making enough to live happy and 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 uh, and I don't I don't work a day in my life. I just I go and do what I love every day, you know. And uh, we're blessed. We're we're blessed. And it's also the other thing is and this is one of the things that martial arts is the most wonderful. You get to meet amazing people like yourself and connect on a human level, and uh, and it's just a, it's just a real pleasure meeting you, you know. And I hope we we this is our first day of friendship, but I, I hope we continue for many many years ahead. Oh, I'm, I'm sure we will. Uh, yeah. that, like I said before, I'm a, I'm a big believer in uh, once I know someone, I, I just keep pestering him. <laughs> Not pestering <laughs> at all. Right? I look forward to seeing Radical on the website. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, I, yeah. I look forward to I look forward to filming it. You know, cool. from what I've seen today. And you have a, a book in the works? Yeah, so uh, I have two books in the works. To yeah. be fair, so the the one that will be finished first is is more of um, a book version of the Warrior Collective. So it's. I've gone and visited, I, well, I mean, I'm still in the middle of it, but I, I visit some of the world's leading striking coaches um, and they go through, they choose a, a, a subject matter. So it can be a general subject matter or something ultra specific. And then the section of the book then is dedicated to what they believe about that aspect, what they've chosen, you know, and then we use photographs and drawings. So it's a bit, you know, like Bruce Lee's Tao Jeet Kune Do book. Yeah. So it's, it's a mixture of cool photographs with, with hand-drawn 
diagrams and sketches of that particular coach's methods and approach, you know, approaches. But obviously, it's not just one coach; it's many coaches, and it's not one style. It's MMA, it's Muay Thai, it's kickboxing, it's Taekwondo, and what I'm looking and what the book's called is obviously the evolution of martial arts in combat sports, and the idea is to see how the rule sets have, have made the striking concepts different for each of these cultures, but also there are fundamental similarities that are shared mechanically, you know, uh, and like I was saying before about systems, um, that they have, there's some shared stuff between them. It's it's really interesting. And, and like I said, I'm halfway, I'm about halfway through at the moment because obviously I have to visit the coach <laughs> and then we have to work with a graphic designer and we have to pass it back and forth until we're ready. But I, when it's done, I truly believe that it's going to be really loved, really yeah. loved. Because, One more time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think the the equivalent books that have gone out in the past have usually been one coach's perspective, mm-hmm. and they've gone through their curriculum, yeah. their syllabus. Whereas this is going to be different in that each coach is choosing a subject close to their heart that they want to kind of talk about and go through, and then we're using a very modern approach and style of photographs and diagrams so i'm working very closely with with a um a graphic designer to create this look um so it's like it yeah it's it's i suppose it looks like a like 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 the the towers you can do was bruce lee's handwritten right but just more like arrows and things like that yeah but but a modern version yeah like a modern version of that but still keeping that kind of because you know yourself like coaches they they make notes and like oh I'm going to write that down. Yeah. And then they have these eureka moments where they go, you know, and they scribble and they sometimes, and that's what it's about. It's like it, it constantly evolves, like you're saying, a coach won't stand still on a technique. They're always like going, okay, if I move one inch to the left, that's going to make it better. Um, and and so, yeah, so the idea of the look of the book is, is a bit like that. So I, I'm, even what I've done so far in it, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I love this. You know, it's so amazing. And, and, I'm so thankful for the coaches who've um, allowed me to include them in the book. Um, and I do think like, like when it's finished, uh, people are going to are gonna enjoy it. Hopefully, mm-hmm. One, whether well, I definitely will be the first guy buying it. <laughs> I cannot wait. It's been absolutely wonderful having you. Just to close out, what did you, what did you think about the, the – um, did you see the uh, Weidman-Rays um, fight? I was not surprised, but I was disappointed. And I don't know where Weidman's going to go from there. Uh, people talk about retirement, but he he moved up. I think he shouldn't have moved up. Yeah, but it was also like a real – we were talking about this before. It was such a simple mistake, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but he got hit in the stand-up. But he was – you know, I, I okay, he was hit, but he was playing Delhi guard. And he dropped both his feet when, when, Dom, when Reyes um, turned to the side. And he didn't keep his foot up. I was talking about that in my class. Eight. You don't keep a foot on the hip. You just get you a hammer fist. And that guy has heavy hands. And the other hand was down. So both his hands are down. So if I'm in a striking match, both my hands are down, I better be moving <laughs> like crazy. Now, you have to treat the guard like a striking match. You know, like he wants to hit you. So first of all, keep one hand up so you can protect your face when you're playing De La Hiva. So the other hand is grabbing his foot. You better have the other hand by your face. The other thing is keep your foot up as another blocker. He had no feet up and no hands up. And then the guy was like, well, I'll just hammer fist you. Mm. And that was it. And it's just a fundamental mistake of playing uh, grappling without strikes. And uh, it was funny. In the warm-up video, I saw the way he was warming up. And, um, I mean, it was some beautiful movement, but it was like, 
it was like you're doing what you did in high school wrestling. You know, he was doing kind of like a snap down duck under. I'm like, that thing you're warming up with will never actually happen in an MMA match. Hmm. So it's like interesting how he he's not thinking about the context of what he's training, I think. And that's not to say talk badly about Wyden because, I mean, obviously he's a great fighter. And also, you know, he's he's really great. You know, he's one of the few fighters in, in, in defeat who's so classy. Such a genuine, genuine guy, you know. Um, he's used to losing, so he should have it now. <laughs> so mean. <laughs> <laughs> but more importantly than that, uh, Radical MMA had a good weekend. G, we, another win. Yeah, and York a had a fantastic win too. With Thank some you. Nice elbows. We we had yeah. It was uh, we the entire camp was a camp of elbows, yeah. and uh, no, it was we were like, and I Focusing. go, G, I don't care what you do, but practice your elbows, and then. Five elbows later, he 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 won the fight. You yeah. know, and then Trav hops up to the Matt Denning who took the fight. Um, and uh, was that late notice? Or? I'm sorry. Was that late notice? It wasn't. It wasn't late. I, I, but it wasn't exactly a full camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, because we were supposed to fight a guy named Pat Casey, who we're fighting next. Uh, as long as everything goes through, it just he got MRSA and uh, was didn't get a doctor. Here that's going around. Yeah, yeah, that's what I had <laughs> in my arm. You know, no, for sure. And. Um, and so we, I hope he's much better, and he's a great fighter. And but Matt had uh, already fourteen MMA fights, so it was a good match for G. Mm-hmm. And uh, so G only had one pro fight. This guy has fourteen pro fights. So um, uh, he came, uh, you know, he, he's he's that, and he actually did a Dan Henderson double leg overhand, and that's a, he did actually get G not hard, but you know it was a good move. Uh, just they had a little clinch scramble. G got to take down half guard and and half guard elbows and. Um, the guy was trying to do knee shield, and knee shield in sport jiu-jitsu is very effective. In MMA, it can be a very big problem, and we specifically would had been practicing to destroy the knee shield and come over with elbows. So it actually was exactly what we practiced the entire camp. It was it was like our drilling sessions. Mm-hmm. They did exactly what we practiced. Take down a half guard, he does a knee shield, we elbow him. And we, we probably did that every day. At least twenty times a day for the entire right camp. Here. For good the coach. entire camp, and it just it just came out. Did know? they uh, go to McDonald's afterwards? We did. We did go to McDonald's <laughs> the next day, and it was terrible. G's post fight meal. Uh, yes, yeah, the McNuggets and a Big Mac, and he and a know. tall boy Heineken. <laughs> yeah, yes, we had had Heineken in there, which you know I have to be careful. I told them you guys didn't get hit, so you can drink alcohol. But there's one thing that's very important: that if you get hit a lot, you should never drink alcohol after a fight because alcohol promotes. Your dilation of your capillaries, which can increase the the incidence of in, uh, train, cranial um, uh, bleeding. So you should never drink alcohol if you've been hit hard in the head after a fight. And that's one of the things that caused the Dukkha Kim to die in his match against Maybuma Mancini because they had had some like the night before, couple nights before, a little bit of like a good luck sh- soju Korean, you know, like good luck, you know, old school. And and they believe that that was a contributing factor to his his death in the ring, uh, way back when. That being said, of course, boxing is dangerous. That we already had a, a boxing death. death this year. Yeah, yeah, three three this year. But um, alcohol and brain trauma um, are have a, are a bad mix. But um, G and York both uh, didn't get hit once hard in the fight. They got hit. In, York had a three round fight, and he didn't eat any punch whatsoever. It was just one grazing. Uh, punch just grazed a little, no trauma whatsoever. The only thing is York is icing his foot because he kicked the guy in the head a lot. <laughs> and you know, I mean, no, you kick a guy in the head, it hurts, you know. Yeah. And uh, and it wasn't the shin; it was the foot a little connected, so his foot's icing. But other than that, he's great. And we're gonna be—he's gonna be fighting again in December. And um, we'll see. G's got a fight in in the same promotion in 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 February uh, against Pat Casey. If if Pat Casey says yes, and looks like he probably will, and we're looking forward to because that guy's a Bellator, you know, is in Bellator for a few fights, and uh, and it's, it's, an, it's a great uh, and with the fight, the premier FC title. 
So we're we're very happy. Um, what happened? I'm just really glad um, my fighters that took no damage because that's number one is I have to be responsible to their families afterwards. And we, we had a great show. And also it was really good refereeing because when G was elbowing his opponent, there was a, a good stoppage, which kept everybody safe, you know? <laughs> um, and then we had some great results in, in the grappling element uh, uh, too. I was super proud of one of my students who just, not because he won, but, you know, to me, martial arts is always about self-actualization and, uh, and pushing yourself to 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 get to that next level, and you know, to see him, you know, come from a place where you know it was difficult for him, your know, nerves and things like that. And I I had that too. You know, when I first competed, I would always choke. I'd be get too nervous and this and that. And I you know, and to see him just really grow, it it um you know leaves a kind of lump in your throat because you're so happy for them. It's not about the winning. You know, it's about doing your absolute best in that moment. And if the win comes, the win comes. If it doesn't come, it doesn't come. But if you can say, I did my absolute best, nobody can walk out of there and, and feel anything but happy for your for your, you, you, you know. Did your best, you came up short. If you do your best and you come up strong, even better. And he faced a, a very high-level uh, pro grappler in his finals. And he's not a pro grappler, you know. And he won and he tapped the guy and got 600 bucks. Yeah. So, you know, it was really it was really a good day. Yeah. And uh, I just – I was sorry I wasn't there for it. But – um you know, uh, it was it was a great great time for our academy, but in also you know, I come back and I see all my beginner students, you know, looking sharp. That that's also you know it's a wonderful thing to see. That's just the, the wheels are turning, and you know we're a small academy, but we're the little engine that could, <laughs> and that, and it's wonderful to to yeah. to be so. I'm so excited. We're going to be filming it. But anyway, um, Warrior uh, Collective, Warrior Collective, that's yes. WarriorCollective.com. Uh, WarriorCollective.co.uk. Okay, yeah. cool. And then uh, a couple books coming out later this year or early next your, year? It's, I, it's I don't want to rush you. Yeah, anything, it's but probably, we're waiting for it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah it's probably because I cause I'm really want to concentrate on making sure that uh, everything's done to every coach's you know, wait, that's the problem, isn't it? When you work with multiple coaches, it's not mm. just one person that you got to make happy. So I'm trying to kind of go, okay, yeah, I want right everyone it. to be happy with the second. Sure. So it's going to be early next year for the, for the first one, definitely. Okay. Uh, and where are you on Instagram and social media? Yeah, so I'm pretty much on everything, really. Um, so YouTube channel is Stuart Tomlinson. Instagram uh, is Stuart Tomlinson or Warrior Collective. You, they'll come up on, on both Facebook, YouTube. I'm quite... Quite, uh, quite, quite, quite busy on on, on all the social media. <laughs> you know, it's 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 so weird. But you know, you're the third friend I have with the name last name Tomlinson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a student, uh, Rob Tomlinson. My friend, I have a friend, Brad Tomlinson. So, <laughs> all, all, all the best people. Get the ancestry.com out and see if you're related. <laughs> Thank right. you so much for Wonderful. coming in yeah. today, and uh, we'll keep a lookout for the book and uh, check Warrior Collective. Uh, that code UK uh, and radical will be up there soon. Yep, definitely. Beautiful. Thank, Thank you so much, Stuart. Thank you. Guys.